0: Your sister for reading our scripture reading for today. So good afternoon everyone. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be back in Brooklyn. I always love coming here. I feel like we have a lot in common with West Salem. I told Naomi before when we were coming here, I said, I feel like I could make this my home church. <laughs> love, yeah. Well, praise the Lord. We we all have been given a message that is worth repeating and retaining. And sometimes we have to fight for it, amen? Amen. Yep, so, but it's good to be here. Unfortunately, not my whole family is here today. Um, Our oldest children have duties back home in the home church. They're they're playing the piano and teaching Sabbath school classes for little ones, so um, it's not, our life is changing a little bit. The kids all used to be small, smaller, and so wherever we went, they went, but Times change, and for those of you that are older than me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Times do change. So uh, today, I uh, I thought we would look at the story of David. See what we can learn from the story of David. Um, I know there's a lot of different things we can learn from the story of David, but I want to look specifically for one element, and that is faithfulness in the little things. Faithfulness in the little things. <clears throat> I'm talking about little things, I have a little story here, and I'm sure some of you have heard it. It really impressed me when I heard it. In 2017, retired Navy SEAL William Harry McRaven made a famous speech where he said, If you want to change the world, start off by, who knows, making your bed. Making your bed. Amen. <clears throat> I told my kids that. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. By the end of the day, the one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bet will also reinforce the fact that little things in life matter. Now, I'm reading a transcript of his talk. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right, and that is true. If by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bet that's made, that you made, and a bet made, and a made bet gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bet in the morning. How true, how true, how profound. <clears throat> Just a few facts here. The average American will sleep over 26 years in his lifetime. Now, some people have the attitude that that is a waste of time. I don't. I, I think um, Solomon says that the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. He also says that lazy people sleep a lot. So I don't know whether I'm lazy or I work hard, but I, sleeping is sweet. And to me, sleeping in this sinful world is not a waste of time if we need it. I can, In fact, studies show that People that sleep a lot eat um, live longer. People that sleep enough, I should say, live longer. The average person in America spends nine years watching television. I suppose that's all right if it's 3ABN or Discovery or something like that. <clears throat> it's the little things that make up our lives. It's so true. Recent research shows that in the second quarter of 2022, the average time spent on social media was 6 hours and 37 minutes. So it's just amazing when, you know, everybody has 24 hours. We all have 24 hours in a day, and we have seven days a week, and we have 365 or 366 days a year. Some of us are always too busy to to go golfing or whatever our hobbies are, which is busy, busy, busy. And other people accomplish a lot in life, and they have time to take off and go on a vacation and spend time in recreation. It's all about management, but we all have... 24 hours and there's a lot in 24 hours that can be done life is made up of little things before we start looking at our scriptures let's just bow our heads for one more word of prayer and we ask the holy spirit to be our teacher today so let's pray father in heaven we are aware that your word is holy just like you are holy and that your word is the truth just like you are the truth but sometimes when we start expounding on the Word of God, we defile it. And so we're just asking that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher today and that you would hide me behind behind the cross and that you would just let me be a a nail on the wall and that you would speak to our heart through your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) So I'd like to first go to our scripture reading, which is found found in the book of Luke. Luke and chapter... 16, Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> I love the book of Luke, even though the book of Matthew is my favorite book. I think it's largely because growing up Amish, it, would, it was preached a lot in our church services, so I became very familiar with it. And to me, you know, between the four gospels, I love the book of Matthew. But I've also discovered the beauty of the book of Luke, and they're all beautiful. I know the book of John is beautiful. I just know that the book of Mark has long chapters. So my family has been part of a Bible challenge uh, the last two years where you read the Bible through in a month, in a month of January, which is about thirty-nine, an average of 39 chapters a day. And so if if you're depressed in January from the weather and you want something to totally distract you, that will do it. But I discovered... From doing that, I discovered that the book of Mark has long chapters. You're at like day 29, and here you're reading through all the way through book of Mark, and, and then you get into John, and it's, yeah, it's a lot of reading. But the book of Luke... So Matthew, Mark, and John wrote their personal testimony, what they, what they experienced walking with Christ. What they heard him say, the things that they remembered. The book of Luke is different. If you read the first chapter of the book of Luke, Luke tells us that he wrote what the multitude saw, which is very fair. So you have Matthew, Mark, and John who wrote their personal testimony of their experience with Christ, but the book of Luke is the crowd. The book of Luke, you really get what the crowd remembers. So it's interesting. Book of when whenever I read from the book of Luke, I start. I, I ask myself. Why did this individual, it might have been 30 years after this individual heard this, he told Luke what he remembered that Jesus said on this day, this certain day. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So this must have really inspired this individual when this individual heard this, and many years later he or she remembered this. And and I, I know for me this impacts me because it really shows us that life is made up of principles. If if we're not faithful in the little things, what makes us believe that we will be faithful in great things? That is what we see in the book of in the story of David. Faithfulness in, in, in little things makes us faithful in great things. And I find it a little terrifying sometimes when people say, well, we're just trying to kind of fly above, below the radar and when it comes to certain issues, moral issues in the world, because we're waiting on a Sunday law in the future. Then we want to be relevant. Well, a Sunday law is the Goliath. Are we going to slay the lion and the giant along the way? Or are we just going to try to lay low? Well, we're not going to slay the lion, we're not going to slay the giant because we're waiting on Goliath. So let's go to first Samuel chapter seventeen. First Samuel chapter seventeen. <clears throat> and this this story of David and Goliath has a lot that we can learn from. And it's one of those chapters that um, it's kind of like reading a story. So we're going to read the chapter, at least a great portion of it, because it's very self-explanatory, and we're going to talk about it as we go. It says, First Samuel chapter 17, just a little background. David was king at this time. At the time this took place, not David, but Saul was king at the time... Of this, that this story took place. Now Saul was head and shoulder taller than all the rest of the people. He was a very intelligent and very handsome person. But Saul wanted to play games with God. You remember God told him to go to, um, slay the Amalekites. And Saul thought, well, I, I'm too merciful for that. He was supposed to, to kill the king. And the animals and everything. And when we look at the Amalekites, we can understand these people were involved in bestiality. So the animals and the people, everything was defiled. And God says, You don't even bring the animals home because they're defiled. You have to slay them. God for many years tried to reach them. But the day came where he told Saul to take his army out and get rid of them so they don't influence them. And Saul saw himself to... Uh, what is the word? too uh, merciful to obey god so he kept some of the uh, the uh, animals he kept for for sacrifice he said it was for sacrifice um, anyways he thought he would honor god with his disobedience and so saul was not a faithful not a faithful king and you remember solomon um, samuel told him that the sin of rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and when you remember Saul the last night before he died, where was he? he was a witch. The sin of rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Saul was head and shoulder taller than everybody else. What happened to his head the day he died? It was chopped off. A man, a great man that made little decisions in the wrong direction. It just became possessed by evil spirits. First Samuel chapter 17. Now we're going to read about David. He says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Succoth and Asica in Ephesus the Mim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, verse 4 through 7, I'm going to read from a different translation. By the way, I'm reading from the New King James uh, Version. I hope you're okay with that. It's just, it's English is my second language and I find the New King James to be a lot easier for me. Um, for those of you that are using gadgets. Um I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and the only from verse four through seven. The only reason it translates um, the way into uh, the measures that we use today. It says, "Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor." And he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as a, as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. Now if you remember remember King Ahab, how was King Ahab killed? The enemy shot at him from a distance, and they it hit the arrow hit the joint of his uh, armor. Well, Goliath was protected from this. His armor was designed like uh, the scales of a fish, where it was flexible and he could walk, but there was no joint. There was nowhere to hit this giant where you could kill him. Now, verse 8, Then he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to live, to line up in battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you the servant of Saul? Choose a what? A man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. Goliath is up for a surprise. If he is able to fight with him and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of the Israel this day. Give me a, a man that we may fight together. He's going to find it very insulting when a youth comes. Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephotite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, here we find out that Saul already knew who David was. You remember, Saul used to get these spells of despondency and these spells of demon possession or whatever it was. And they had David come in from the field and play the harp to him. So, Saul would have already known who David was at this time. Because it says that he was, uh, he occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, take, your fa- your, take now for your brothers and ephah of this dried grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. And carry these ten cheeses ten to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them." Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things he went and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to to fight and shouting for battle. Verse 21. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in a battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Now I I suspect that David's brothers brothers knew him well enough to know that when he came to the to the camp that he might have he might be inclined to do something radical. You know, when you know your little brother, you're fighting little brother. It seems like it when you read as we read on that they might have suspected. Verse twenty three. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine, and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of Israel, of the living God? When we think about our future a lot of time we talk about a great time of trouble that's coming that we have to prepare for and that is true but if what was David's motivation to go after Goliath the glory of God so this giant became an opportunity not an obstacle all Israel who had left you know had they have lost sight of their strength which was God they were shaking in their boots they were scared to death even Saul. But David was not scared of this man, because he was willing to put his life on the line to glorify God. He's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to speak like this about our God? It's like us in the future saying, "Who is the? who are these people to change the law of God? We will not tolerate it. We're going to stand up, put our life on the line to reveal God to the world. It is an opportunity not an obstacle. Let's jump down to 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You think David's dad had only a few sheep? I think that's debatable. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. Now, we know that David's story is very, very much parallels the story of Moses. They were both taken to the wilderness in preparation to do great things for God. Now, we know that David enjoyed playing with his sling. What do you imagine David did as he sat you know, next to a tree watching the sheep? I imagine he was playing with his sling seeing if he can hit that tree over there or that rock over there. So he would play and, you know, he would just practice, practice, practice. And we also know that he played his guitar. And he watched, protected the sheep. We'll read about that here in a little bit. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him, him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for, for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. I think David was being tactful. He's calling Saul, you know, he's calling himself his Saul's servant because David knows if I slay the giant, I could be considered a rival. Verse 33, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And after all, Goliath had called for a man, not a youth. It reminds me of the story of Jesus when he was brought before Herod. Herod was excited to see him, but Jesus refused to, to talk to him. Why was that? Well, we know that, that um, John the Baptist had told Herod that he was living in sin. And it ended up cutting, you know, costing John the Baptist's life. And so Jesus had no more words for a man that was, that was denying, that was not living up to the truth that was revealed to him. Also, if Jesus had revealed more truth to him, John, or Herod, would have been responsible For the for the uh, truth that was revealed to him. Verse thirty four. This is David's argument why he would be able why he thinks he'll be able to deal with Goliath. But David said to Saul, "Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it." and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck and killed it. Your servant David has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like the one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Why does David think he will be able to overcome Goliath? He had faith. Why did he have so much faith? Experience. David was faithful in the little things. When he was watching his dad's sheep, when a lion came, he killed it. Now, I suspect, if you look at the life of Jesus, his miracles became stronger. Like, eventually, he was... He resurrected a dead person, but the person had just died. And then, eventually he resurrected Lathras, who was dead three days and was already decaying. As you see, you know, you see Jesus even growing in his miracles and stuff. And so I would suspect that before David killed a lion, he probably killed a bear. Mm-hmm. And before he killed a bear, he probably killed a, a uh, hyena. And before he killed a hyena, he probably killed a dog. And so on, you know, attacking animals. And so David, he knew, look, if, if God was with me, I could slay the bear and the lion, then God will help me slay this giant. After all, he says, this this giant has defied the armies of the living God. Faithfulness in little things prepares us for faithfulness in great things. Amen. Moreover, David said, verse 37, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Now watch what happened. So Saul closed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he closed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. Now I love uh, commentary. uh, The book Patriarchs and Prophets, I believe, provides some fantastic insight on this in commentary. It says that David actually put on the armor and left. I always suspected that he just tried it on, kind of walked, no, I can't do this. But it says that he actually left. And when they saw, they saw him leave, and they thought, wow, he's gonna get killed. This, this young boy's gonna get hurt. And then they saw him coming back, and they're like, whew. You know, he's, he came to his senses, and thought, ah, oh, I can't. I, you know, he's too big. We're no, ma- I'm no match. I can't, I can't overtake, I can't go fight against this Philistine. So he came, came running back, he came walking back, and he says, I can't, I can't wear the, wear this armor. I'm just gonna wear my, my sheepskin and whatever verse um, we're in the middle of verse 39 it says and David said to Saul I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them so David took them off Saul put his armor on David took it off verse 40 then he took his staff on his hand in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Now the Philistine is waiting for who? A man. Not a young boy. A young boy would be very insulting. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. And we're told that God will do the greatest things with the simplest means at the end of time. We like to figure out how things are going to go from one to the other. But if we have learned anything through COVID, it's the fact that this world is very unpredictable. God will accomplish things that, in a way that we have never even saw coming. Verse 43, So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now David was supposed to show up with a sword and a spear and a shield and a javelin. But for him to show up in his goat skin with a stick it was insulting, to say the least. It was very insulting to the Philistine because it made him look weak. It made him look like he wasn't nine feet tall. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, "Come to me, and I will give you the flesh. I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field." Then David said to the Philistine, "You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head." From you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. That should those should have been the words of Saul. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistines arose. Philistine arose and came and drew, drew near to David, to meet David. That David hurried, and ran toward the army, to meet the Philistine. So the Philistine is coming downhill, towards David. And David is going uphill, towards Goliath, his armor bearer, and it says the army of the Philistines. Plus David is running uphill, with no, with only his, what do you call it? His sling. Thank you. In his sling, and apparently a stick and a couple of rocks, and he's running not only up here uphill, he's running towards a giant that is overlaid with bronze, and there is no way to hit him with a rock. But David has faith. He knows that God has called him to go after this this giant. And what happened? <clears throat> verse 49 then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell he fell on his face on the earth so David prevailed over the Philistine with his sling and his stone and struck the Philistine and killed him but there was no sword in his in the hand of David verse 51 therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine took his sword and drew it out of his sheath killed him cut off his head with it And when the Philistines saw that that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, as David is running uphill, there is no place, nowhere to hit was the stone. But he has faith. He's going towards the Philistine. He's running uphill towards the Philistine and an army with a couple rocks. But he was called to do it. And what happened? If you read the book Patriarchs and Prophets, it says, you know, since David was a was just a humble young serv a hum, humble young youth, young man, youth they call him, she calls him but anyways. Goliath put his guard down. He's like, There's no way this man, this young David boy, this young shepherd boy, is going to be able to overcome me. Goliath probably felt like he could kick him in two. So Goliath, as he's coming down, he's super angry. And he pushes up his helmet to get a better look at this young man. And guess what hit him just as he's put up his helmet? The rock. Now, did David know that he was going to push up his helmet when he started out? No. He just knew that this person has to be dealt with. So he pushes up his helmet and David flings the rock. It didn't kill him, but it stunned. It stunned him. It says he put, he brought up his two hands like he was blinded, and he started staggering. And that's when David uh, ran on him and and took his own his own sword and killed him. What does that mean for us? Whatever God calls us to do, it's not about how great the task is; it's whether we're called to do it. And when we're faithful in little things, we can do great things. God grows us day by day, moment by moment. And sometimes things happen in life that are very hard to understand. We lose loved ones. There's all kinds of bad things that happen in this world. And we don't understand why, but this is what we know. God does radical things to save people. When we get on the other side, we will understand why. When we see, when we spent the first day in eternity, we will understand why God was so desperate. We will understand what 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 we're actually missing out today. Because today we don't. We we've never been in heaven. We get glimpses, but God does radical things to save His people. Amen. Sometimes He calls people away from us into the grave to save them. We don't always understand, but God does. Radical things that make no sense to us. That's why we trust him. We have faith in him because he knows the end from the beginning and we don't. We know that we live in the era of the Laodicean church. Lukewarmness prevails. Lukewarmness is our threat. Have you ever asked yourself what makes the Laodicean church lukewarm? How do you end up With lukewarm water, it's when you bring cold and hot together. Remember, he says, "I wish you were cold or hot." It's when you bring cold or hot together. The when you read the first test, first first volume of the testimonies, we're told the problem with the Laodicean churches, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone. We accept certain elements of truth, and we reject certain elements of truth. Because we think they're little things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God has, technically, God has said that, but I don't think it's a big deal. That's like Saul. It's not like David watching his dad's sheep. Here's a statement. It says, God leads his people on, step by step. He brings them up to different points, calculated to manifest what is in their heart. Some endure at one point, but fall off at the next. At every advanced point the heart is tested and tried a little closer. If the professed people of God find their hearts opposed to this straight work, it should convince them that they have a work to do to overcome. If they would not be spewed out of his mouth, out of the mouth of the Lord, said the angel, God will bring his work closer and closer to test and prove every one of his people. Some are some are willing to receive one point. But when God brings them to another testing point, they shrink from it and stand back. It doesn't say that they say, "Oh, it's not true," or whatever, but they, they they distance themselves from it. They shrink and they stand back because they find that it strikes directly at some cherished idol. Now, who knows what the context of this statement is? It's fashion. Context of the statement is fashion. Now, you might think, well, Andy doesn't know, or Andy and Naomi don't know what what fashion is. We don't know what what it feels like to you know to struggle with fashion, but we do. Believe it or not, we were you know, Naomi and I were born in the most conservative Amish church on the planet that I know of, and we were bombarded with fashion. Amish have their own fashion you have though people always we, we try to make to make statements with the way we dress even today you know I'm I'm you know and it's a good thing we need to we need to be uh, want to be uh, representable but yeah it's it's hard sometimes it's we're like Peter Peter was willing to fight for Jesus literally fight so when 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 the army appro or the uh, the people approached Jesus to arrest him, he got out, got out his sword and took one big old whack at one of, at Malchus, and he missed him and hit his ear. and And Jesus says, "Look, put your sword back." But when Ch- when Jesus when Peter was humiliated, what did he do? He buckled. He compromised. Mm-hmm. There are certain elements of truth that we're uncomfortable with. And our last statement says, As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth, abandon their position, and join the ranks of opposition. By uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular sight. That's what happens. When we don't want to slay the lion and the bear, we're not going we're not going to slay Goliath. We know that in the future we're going to stand alone. The world is going to be against us. God has put different people in different positions to defend our rights and our liberties. But if if these individuals don't slay the lion and the bear, do you think they're going to slay the giant? No. I'm afraid not. I mean, by God's grace, that could change. I mean, God could still work in their hearts. But So that's my message to you today, and my appeal. Let's be faithful in the little things. Our our lives are made up of moments that turn into minutes, into hours, into days. And what we do with our life really reveals what we live for, who we are in character and who we live for, Amen. Amen. So God bless you all in your journey. I know you. I have a beautiful church here. Our Sabbath school was amazing. I, I told Naomi, I said, "What an amazing Sabbath school teacher! I really enjoyed her thought-provoking questions. That was really good." So, God bless you all, and um, come and worship with us sometime in West Salem. If we don't see you before, we'll see you as we on the Sea of Glass. Isn't that right? Amen. It won't be long. And this, the giant in this life are worth fighting. Amen, and God bless you.